Hi, and welcome to Kelly McAtee Curated Content for the Busy, from the context of the seven mind-molding mountains of cultural influence, where we are seeking to be busy with the right things that fill our cup to overflowing, because that not only nourishes ourselves, but it overflows onto our households, communities, cities, states, and nation. For when the people thrive in the land, the whole land prospers. And that is a good thing. So today I'm introducing the faith mountain. So if you haven't heard the podcast that is the intro to the seven mountains, I kind of take a high level look at all of them. Um, in the order that I put them in. So the Seven Mountains teaching has been around for a long time. I mean, 20, 30 years. And everybody who um, talks about it has slightly different names and orders that they put them in. And I've found merit in all of those. This is just my take on it. And so I place faith as the first mountain on the seven mountains. Other people might call it religion. They might call it church. Um, The reason I call it faith is because no matter what you believe on matters of faith, it speaks to the heart of the individual person and that drives everything else because the Um, stance or the perspective or the condition of the individual heart drives desires, expectations, habits, thoughts, beliefs, behaviors. I mean, that what is coming from the individual heart is essentially what crafts somebody's entire life. And then that heart attracts to itself others that believe the same. We're getting more and more understanding of the law of attraction. That's a physics principle. It's been around for a long time, but we're also starting to understand how that principle, that natural physical principle is really at work all around us. And so um, hopefully you'll read the post that is the intro to the seven mountains. There's some really good resources and links in there, including law of attraction. It's not scary or overwhelming for those of you who think it sounds too um, too fancy or um, I wouldn't get it. I promise it's real easy. It is just a basic understanding that like attracts like. So what's in the individual heart that end of, that eventually manifests and morphs into the values, behaviors, and ideals of the household. And then that morphs into the values of the community. And then the community becomes the city. The city becomes a region. And then the region becomes a nation. Um, So not to digress too much, but this principle is precisely why in this nation we are a constitutional republic. We are not a democracy. And quite frankly, if I hear another one of our leaders talk about us being a democracy, I might explode. I can't tell you how many times I yell at the TV saying we are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And that matters because there if you do your own due diligence there really aren't true democracies out there but the reason we are a constitutional republic is because states rights are of paramount importance that is why it's so important to maintain states rights so that each of those states can do what is best for them and their people. So we're seeing this at work. I mean, I'm in Texas, I'm in real estate, which I love so, so much, but we started seeing the migration patterns shift and change long before they became parodies and jokes for everybody on the planet 
of people, California moving to Texas. Well, we started seeing and experiencing that several years ago. The reason that people were starting to migrate and move is because the environment of what was going on in that particular state was no longer working for them. It was no longer safe or it was no longer um, a place where they could do the business that they wanted or needed to do to make a living for their family, you know? And so that's the whole point. Okay, this state is making some different choices. Well, I don't have to stay here. I can move to a different state. So that whole concept of um, the individual and like attracting like is just a part of baseline human existence and human um, condition. So um, what one believes about spiritual matters is what I am calling faith. Now, when I say faith, I genuinely mean anybody. So if you're an atheist or an agnostic, your faith is in the rational mind. If you're a secular humanist, if you're a pagan or a spiritualist or Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist or Christian or Taoist or Shintoist or a combination of every one of those, that is your faith. So my, really my belief is that we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body, and our spirits and our souls are eternal. They are housed or contained in a physical body. The physical body will return to the earth. The true self, which is the soul, the personality, the temperament, is undying. It just changes form. And so when that body dies, the true self, the soul, and the spirit, then where does it go? Well, there's a lot of debate about that. If you are coming from the Christian, really the, the Muslim, the Jewish, we'll just take those three kind of main global um, faiths, and really Buddhism gets into some of this too, that you either go to hell, which all of those say is an eternal separation from God, or you go to God. Um, so it's really pretty simple. Um, so that whole understanding that at our core, humans are spiritual beings is really important. So I am a documentary junkie. I absolutely love them. And one of my favorites right now is one that goes back into um, very ancient cultures. I mean, I totally should have been an anthropologist. Um, I love it. I love looking at um, the ancient ruins. I love seeing those teams out there dusting things off. And so you can see I mean, still written and carved into walls and stone that back thousands and thousands of years is evidence that human beings are spiritual beings and it is expressed all around them. And so for a lot of the ancient cultures, they did not separate their governing practices of the people and how they ran their cities and towns and culture, they didn't separate it from the spiritual nature of the people. Their spiritual practices were absolutely and completely threaded through their everyday lives, through their commerce, through their leadership, through their homes, um, because there was no denying that that's who they were. So. Um, part of what I feel we're, we're experiencing in this nation is that we've kind of lost our identity a little bit. You know, people kind of fuss back and forth where we created as a, 
um, as a godly nation. And um, there's really, when you go back to the original documents and you read them, the acknowledgement of a sovereign God is really threaded through absolutely everything. And all the other cultures and religions and everything is actually allowed to flourish here because we have acknowledged that there is a God and nature even acknowledges that there is a God. And so the one true living God is not threatened by other you know, quote, gods, or even not believing there is a God. He's not threatened by that. He's God. That's the whole point. So the other religions can actually thrive here because what is true and what is sovereign and what is eternal is not threatened by the other ideas and beliefs. And so we have to return to and embrace our original identity. So we don't have to all be in agreement. However, we do have to acknowledge and embrace our original documents and get back to the simplicity of those original documents so that everyone can flourish. So what I am gonna call out in terms of a lie that's going on in our nation is this lie of separation of church and state. That is actually not in the original documents. That was actually a part of a, um, a court um, case later on and so there is actually a replacement going on before our very eyes. So there is not in reality a separation of church and state. The reality is that Christian ideas and values are being replaced with a secular humanist religion. So that secular humanism is replacing the Christian ideas and ideals. And so there, there are consequences to that. Any decision always has a consequence. It can be a good one, or it can be a not so good one, or it can be just a blatantly bad one. So um, my writings and my perspective from faith, the faith mountain, are obviously they're going to be from my worldview because that's what I have to offer and the perspective that I have to share. Um, but I have spent considerable time and hours and hours and hours of wrestling and fussing and um, really seeking understanding. And so over time and threaded throughout all of my stories will be my story with this. And so my upbringing really was pretty idyllic. You know, I had a loving home, you know, affluent, church-going, hardworking, um, service-oriented parents that were very present and teaching us and very much on an upward trajectory for life as the world defines it. Um, you know, we, we were in a Christian, I was in a Christian home. We went to church. We did what I, you know, quote, Christian things. Um, but as, as idyllic as my world was, for as long as I can remember, I have battled high anxiety, fear, worry, even depression. We didn't really know it at the time, but heavy depression. I mean, starting young. And didn't we just didn't know it. We didn't, at the time, people weren't really necessarily recognizing those signs. That's what, you know, there's so much good going on in the world. We know so much more. We have such a better understanding of some of these things that we can um, be more informed and intervene with and for the people that we love 
so much better with good tools. Um, but that was a really interesting thing for me as I reflect that, you know, on the outside, I got really good at putting on a show, you know, um, I could walk the walk and talk the talk and smile. And I was a very, I was very well trained, but really my internal experience was pretty tormented. And so, um, you know, that got me really thinking, especially from the Christian perspective of like, well, wait a second, you know, I'm in all these Bible studies and I go to Sunday school and I check all the boxes and, um, I even read my Bible and, um, Yet there's such a disconnect for me personally when I read the Bible and then what I experience in my everyday life. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile some of that stuff. I couldn't quite figure it out. And so how is it possible when the outside world around you is like seemingly perfect and as good as it gets in terms of, um, opportunities and and privilege and access and all of that stuff yet I still feel so fallen and so um wrought with fear and worry and stress I mean and stuff like self-sabotage and other sabotaging and discontent and indecision and confusion and chaos and anxiety and all this stuff that's utterly paralyzing that's why um, this whole, you know, privilege narrative that is reaching a fever pitch just doesn't, that dog just don't hunt, as we say in Texas. And the reason is because I was in it. I was in the privilege. I was given it. I mean, anything, my resume, and if you were to just look at me on the outside, you go, oh, she has hatched. Do you talk about white privilege. That girl has got it. Like, well, yeah, maybe it didn't ever do me any favors. And I still have had to work my tail off. And if anything, it was um, even harder in a lot of ways because I had to fight against certain things that maybe somebody else didn't in order to earn my stripes. It's really an interesting thing. So all those narratives, you know, the privilege, you know, all of that, um, I get it and I see it and I see the side and I see where they're coming from. However, having been in it, I've still had to climb my way out of the depths and I've still had to um, fight so hard. And I've been working in, um, in impoverished and, um, poor areas, really my whole life in homeless shelters, in prisons, um, anywhere I could go to serve and love on people, I've been there. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen, oh my gosh, I'm looking at the exact same stuff. It doesn't matter if I'm standing in a prison or if I'm standing in one of the most beautiful boardrooms in the planet. It doesn't matter. The issues are exactly the same. These are human issues. They're not race issues. They're not privilege issues. They're not SES issues, socioeconomic, meaning money. These same issues are at work in every single facet of society and it is up to the individual person within those different groups and buckets and places to choose to be an overcomer and that is what I have had to fight for is being an overcomer and what does that look like and so as I have reflected and I have um, I have fought through so much of my own faith. I think what my system was recognizing young, like I was noticing, okay, wait a second. Some of this, you know, quote, Christian stuff and some of what I experience and people who call themselves Christian, you know, it doesn't really feel like love. And then I go over here, somebody who really doesn't profess themselves so much as a Christian and it's like I feel 
so much just love and generosity. And it's like that looks and sounds and feels a whole lot more like Jesus than this dude over here who's constantly talking and harping about Jesus, but is kind of critical and mean and judgmental and uh, not a lot of love. So it, it started me on a path of really taking a fine tooth comb through some of that stuff. And I asked a lot of questions and I, I really found that my own soul was kind of this black hole, like a gravitational force type magnet looking for anything that could fill it and heal it and satisfy it. And it's like nothing I ever tried could bring it peace. You know, just always seeking more, more stuff, more money, more approval, more success, more career, more knowledge, more degrees, more friends, different friends, different house, more travel. What's next? Oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm depleted. I feel lonely. I feel afraid 120% of the time. Afraid to make this decision. Afraid to not make this decision. Afraid to get involved in this. Afraid to not get involved in this. I mean, just all over the place. Angry, hopeless, overwhelmed. Um, and all of this looking like I really kind of had it together. So um, it really helped me understand that in a lot of ways for the first half of my life, I would say that I was in what I call the Christian club. And I do believe that there is a little bit of an epidemic in this nation of kind of the, the Christian clubbers versus the true followers of the Messiah, meaning Messiah literally means anointed one, Messiah. Um, and the difference, and I know this because I was doing it. I was in it. And there is absolutely no judgment because my, I believe that I, I had to walk through that. And so for me, the Christian club was, you know, I, I looked the right way. I talked the right way. I did the right things. I went to the right events. You know, I did all the things that you do when you're in a club, but really my internal experience and my, um, my life and the way that I felt really was not in line with what I would call the will of God. You know, and I'm kind of a doer, I'm a workhorse. So I really was very works oriented, which if, if you're not familiar with that term, you know, being really works oriented is, I felt like I had to go do a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I had to go um, basically earn God's love. And that's just really not what it's about. It's really just pretty simple about receiving the gift of salvation and teaching and training that the living God has for every single human on the planet. Now, I have come to believe that with every fiber of my being, the living God is a good and near God who offers the invitation to any and every human on the planet, the invitation to enter into a deeply satisfying, loving relationship with the living God. That is absolutely incredible. So, um, really realizing that I was in more of the Christian club space um, was really key for me. But I've had kind of a long and winding path through understanding my faith because I had more questions than I had answers. And a lot of times I couldn't get those questions answered. And so in grad school, I started really exploring. I started really looking into humanism, you know, and humanism for a little while had a really um, interesting appeal to my personality because basically I'm an optimist and I genuinely believe in the good 
of every single person on the planet. I believe in that. Um, and humanism basically says that the human soul is basically good and that humans, if we try hard enough, we can make this planet a better place. And so it places humans really at the center of the universe um, with the ability to transcend within themselves to, to new heights and stuff. And so um, that was always really interesting. But I always got stuck on one pivotal point. Okay, so if humanism really worked... How is it possible that we still have raging and increasing global crime, famine, wars, abuse, abuse beyond measure, um, crime, 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 lawlessness, fear, depression, endless discontent, um, and really to put it on a personal level, like I have good parents and a good family. Amazing people. And we still battled divorce, fear, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, addiction, financial instability, and yo-yoing. I mean, you name it, we dealt with it. So if humanism is true, and humans are fundamentally good and true masters of our domain, then I should be able to apply some positive psychology and be good to go long term. But I have found that that didn't work and it certainly doesn't work long term. I mean, and I know because I've tried. I mean, a million times over I tried and I always came up breathtakingly short here. And so I just couldn't do any of this in my own strength. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I worked on things, it just seemed to get worse. It didn't get better. So that's when I'm like exhausted, just going, I need help from somebody outside of the current system I'm stuck in. I mean, and you know, you learn real fast if in life-saving techniques, if somebody is drowning, you don't go in there necessarily with your own body because they're frantic and that, that that drive for survival, they'll more like more than likely take you down. You offer them a stick or a life jacket or a life support, something else to pull them out of that trauma, and then you help get them safely um, to the side or to a boat or to land or something like that. So you, the humans can't pull each other out. Um, and then, you know, you have the issue of every single baby that is born eventually has to choose the type of person that they're going to be. And then that sort of thing takes years and years to flesh out. And so in the meantime, there can be a lot of fallout from bad decisions and stuff. So that kind of seems like an endless cycle um, of potential yuckiness and really left me feeling hopeless, not hopeful. And so... I kind of got to the place where I really felt like if if our only hope is in humans, well, we're screwed. I mean, really, because th there's some good and some bad in every one of us, and and we can even be well-meaning and well-intentioned, but totally misguided, and in that space, be making all sorts of decisions that end up hurting all sorts of people. So it's like, even when we're well-meaning, there can be a lot of bad things that happen. So that's kind of where I got with, with humanism. And you know, then I started exploring and really hit Buddhism, Islam, Shintoism. You know, I've read the Quran. I've um, studied the tenets there. Um, and a lot of these tenets of these particular world religions, you know, in Shintoism, and which is um, really tr seeking to understand your ancestors and stuff, we see this in America through various psychology outlets. And so many of you know my background in clinical psychology, and that's largely where I tested a lot of these ideas and approaches, and, and they have a lot to do um, with nature, some of them do, you know, which of course I love. I am just, I love all of God's creation and um, seeking peace through various cognitive tools, meditation, as well as understanding 
the influence of your family line and your ancestors and various na narratives. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in narrative therapy and theories and stuff. Um, and I found so much good in every one of those. I mean, and I enjoyed studying each of these. And Carl Jung did a lot of work in understanding ancestral influences through his work with the collective unconscious. And, and I still like the ideas um, and the research and the understanding that we gain from the collective unconscious and the various tenets of each of these faiths. And so while I found really interesting ideas and concepts and beautiful cultures through them, I mean, there's just unbelievable talent um, in all of these cultures and different faiths. For me, personally, I was still searching. I was searching for something more, something bigger, something deeper. Um, and so in my quest for this truth and understanding, I just, I always ended up back at the Bible. And it seemed to be the most complete and thorough body of work to do my digging. You know, the Quran was really interesting to me. It's written by one man. And so I, I found myself being feeling more confused. Um, the Bible was interesting to me because it's written by many, many men, yet it says the same thing all throughout. And it's, I like the test of time. So it says the same things through different men, which any of us, we hardly ever totally agree, um, yet, there's consensus and there's agreement throughout the word. Um, so it's many men over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And they're all saying the same thing. It's like, huh, that's, that's really interesting to me. Um, and so my mom could really see that I was really searching. I was really asking a lot of questions. And she had been using this Hebrew Greek keyword study Bible for a long time. And so she showed it to me one day and how it worked. And I love words and language and history, so this really intrigued me. And so I got myself one and I started studying the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek of the Bible. And that ultimately led me to the Jewish culture, language, and calendar. I mean, oh my gosh, I fell in love. I was fascinated by it and I began studying Judaism. And I, the culture, the depth, um, it just is absolutely beautiful. I had one fairly sticky wicket in my, um, my research and my, um, in my time in Judaism, which was, what do I do with Jesus? Because as I'm studying all of this, all I can see is Jesus. All I can see is all of this stuff pointing to Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name, and so you'll hear that sometimes. Um, and Yeshua is of the same form as Yahshua, which is Joshua. Um, and it means salvation. I mean, his name literally means salvation. And he said... I have come to save the world, not condemn the world. So I started to go, huh, well, all these condemning voices then, my own, I, you know, nobody beats, beats me up better than I do. <laughs> um, so it's like all these condemning voices, wait, those aren't his. He says, I come to save the world, not condemn the world. I'm saving it. Um, and even the Quran acknowledges that he's a prophet in the word of God. And the word of God is one of the most compelling names and identities of the creator because he speaks and it is so. And so in Genesis, we see in the original Hebrew where that spirit of God is hovering over the depths and the darkness and the chaos, that spirit of God is Ruach, the Ruach. That is the intelligent word of God. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, wait a second. That is the pre-incarnate Christ. That is the eternal 
Yeshua, the eternal salvation word of God was right there hovering in existence. Whoa. Okay. Oh my gosh. And then John says that the word of God became flesh and he was light. He was the light of the world. He was the light of men becoming flesh. Okay, so that seed of God, that word of God is now becoming, it's coming through the female womb into this planet as one of us. And by this time, I've been working in world missions for a long time. And what we work to do is to raise up and train the local people because there is no better missionary than someone who is in the culture, who looks and walks and talks and um, engages in the culture in the same way that everybody else does. So it started to click. It's like, hold on. Wow, this is God himself doing the very thing that we seek to do, which is I'm coming to you as you are. Lips and um, 10 fingers and 10 toes and, um, you know, Jesus had to learn the Torah. He had to learn the word of God. So he was fully God and fully man. Yet at the same time, he now understands the human existence and experience in a totally new way. He was doing a new thing. And so then you fast forward to Revelation 19. That word of God shows up another time, but this time it's the picture of Yeshua, of Jesus returning in all power and all glory. And so He's present at the beginning of the new creation of that chaos and darkness. And he speaks and it is so, and it comes into existence. He planted seeds. So then you see, if it's been a while since you've read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I highly suggest you go do it. It's fascinating. Go slow. Read it slowly, take it all in, really think about it because he plants seeds because we see that the trees and everything didn't blossom and bloom until he caused a mist to come up from the ground, until he watered those seeds. So everything with God is a process because that's beautiful. That's He's an eternal God. He doesn't need things to zap and they instantly happen he will if that's necessary but he's a god of process think about how beautiful the seed process is you have these beautiful seeds and each one of them produces something different and the, and you put it in the ground and you put it in dirt and if you feed it properly and you water it properly and you give it sunlight which nourishes it and feeds it it will grow into something that then we can look at, it's beautiful to look at, and then it is beautiful for us to eat in a lot of ways. So it nourishes us. Now there's certain things that we shouldn't eat, but then there's always some other creature that does eat it, right? So it's like something that might be poisonous to us isn't poisonous to some, I don't know, dung beetle, Although somebody will tell me quickly that dung beetles maybe only eat dung. But anyway, that's in and of itself. Oh my gosh, there's a creature that does cleanup work. That's amazing. So that whole idea that he, the word of God, is and has been in existence since the beginning of time started to come together and click for me in new and marvelous and deep, very profound ways 
when I started returning to the Jewish roots of my Christian faith, certain questions that I had that there was just a total disconnect for me. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't understand why I have to do it. And really, quite frankly, I'm pretty stubborn. So if I don't understand why I have to do something, I'm probably not going to do it. And so there was so much in my, you know, quote, American Christian teaching that it's just, it flew over my head. I'm like, man, sure. I mean, I get it and it sounds nice, but it's not penetrating. Well, once I started understanding it and seeing it from a totally different vantage point, from the, the vantage point that Jesus grew up in, which is the Jewish culture, it just, I mean, fireworks started coming off, going off. Like, oh, this is why you do that. So I felt really separated from the context in which the Bible was written from. I mean, really from start to finish, it's written by Jewish people who are coming from a totally and completely Jewish context Jewish culture, Jewish way of thinking. The whole New Testament is written by devout Jewish people. It's unbelievable and it is beyond brilliant. So that was when things really started clicking for me. That's when I would say that scales started coming off of my eyes. That is when I started to see full-on transformation. Um, I, I've almost gotten to where I don't even really call myself a Christian, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to fuss with me on that and not like that, and I really, really understand. But I feel like there has gotten to be such an epidemic in our nation where there are so many people that are calling themselves Christians or I'm, I'm American. Of course, I'm a Christian. Like, well, that's not really what it is about. And so really being a follower, a disciple, a apprentice of Jesus, which means I live my life in a certain way, which means I order my days in a certain way. Um, being an apprentice of Jesus is a totally different thing than being a, quote, Christian clubber, which is what I spent the first half of my life doing and being. Um, and so the Christian clubber is in the pews more times than not. And it, I'm in church and I'm there. And yeah, yeah, I hear it. I see it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not really interested in changing my ways, my daily life, because quite frankly, that's hard and kind of sucks. And so I had lived so much of my life in what I would call Christian moralism. So I liked the moralistic ways of the Christian ideas. Um, but there was not true core heart soul transformation. And so for me, I had had um, some really difficult days. I was struggling heavy with my with health. Um, you know, my husband and I were struggling in a lot of different ways. It was just the heat was on, man. The heat was on. And so I will never forget, I had this, I mean, it was well into my 30s, and I had this, what I call my closet experience. So I went into my closet and just absolutely opened up, unleashed on the Lord. I was mad, I was pissed. I mean, and I was doing this out loud because I was at my wit's end going, if you are really real, I need you to show up. God, Lord God, Jesus, Adonai, Yahweh, these names that I know, if you are real, I need you to show up. Am I just believing in some sort of fairy tale because I need to? 
or is this stuff really real? And if it's really real, I need you to show me. And something happened in that moment. A great light invaded that space. And it's difficult to articulate, but that moment, that space and time where there was no pretense, there was no hedging, I wasn't protecting anything, I wasn't siphoning anything off to the side where it's like, okay, God, you can have this, but not this over here. And I wasn't doing the whole, um, so much of what my life was is I was really doing what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, when I wanted to do it sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on things here and there. It's like that's really not what the apprenticeship of Jesus life looks like. And I was absolutely spent. I was at my wit's end. I was laying myself bare in that closet. And I had an experience with the living God that changed me forever. The way that I walked into that closet was not the way that I walked out. And so by the time that happened, I had been teaching Bible studies. I had been in church more days than not. I had been serving. I had been um, really living the Christian life. However, I was not transformed at my core. And so um, that for me is what brought true change in my life. So after my closet experience, it it took me some time to sort through some things. Um, And I knew something was different. I felt something was different. I knew something transpired in that place. And before my closet experience, I would say that my internal world was really more characterized by selfish ambition, self-righteousness, judgment, criticism, rigidity, fear, um, anxiety, worry, um, all those nasty things. It really was not characterized by peace and joy and freedom and hope. Um, you know, the, the Lord says in his word, my will for you is righteousness, peace, and joy. You know, and um, the majority of that list is emotional. And, and my emotions were really not in that place. I really was caught in a lot of to-do lists and nice ideas and so um, really I didn't even have a decent working definition of love to put into practice and so my definition of love was very worldly and really pretty corrupted in that it was blocking the authentic giving and receiving of true love between myself and the Lord my God And love is a currency and it's a mechanism that truly heals all. And every one of us carry a lot of blockages to that. And we'll we'll explore some of those things because I have found such answers in my research and studying the feasts of the Lord and really digging in to get to the bedrock of these ideas. And so um, really the very first thing that happened after my closet experience was years of training by the Holy Spirit of the Most High Living God in godly living. And it was bumpy, and I'm still very much a work in progress. Um, But the first thing that the Lord my God began teaching me was His definition of love. And boy, did I have it wrong. I can't wait to get into um, his definition of love versus my definition of love. And so that's what we'll do next time on the um, Faith Mountain um, podcast under that heading. 
we will start diving in and looking at the difference between God's definition of love and my earthly definition of love in the hopes that maybe that will help you kind of start to sort through, wait, where did I get that from? And why did I get that? Okay, let's um, let go of the bad and let's cling to the good and let's start walking in it. And so my biggest desire is to leave people with, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've believed or not believed up until this point, Ask God to show you who he really is. Not who the world says he is, not who religion says he is, not who culture says he is, not who your family says he is, but who he says he is. And then be willing to truly hear and receive the answer, even if it's not what you think it is. Now, if nothing happens, you've lost nothing. But if something happens, maybe you'll gain absolutely everything. So my job and my heart's desire is not to convert anybody. That's not what I'm doing. I can't make any decisions for you. You have to, you, you do you, you know, I love that saying you do you, man. (laughs) I can't I can't walk your path. I can't be in your shoes every day, all day long. Um, When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to ask me about you. He's going to ask me about me. So I cannot make any decisions for you. All I can do is share my experiences and my perspective. And then you get to decide what you choose to believe. So I deeply respect and admire all world religions. I have enjoyed them. I do enjoy them. I learn so much from them. I love engaging with people of all cultures and all faiths and learning about them. It is a rich and beautiful part of my life. All I know is that people of all faiths and religions and cultures were drawn to Jesus, Yeshua, when he was on this planet because he was a cool dude doing really cool things that the people were so hungry for. He was available. He was out among them, walking around, talking, teaching, loving on people, meeting needs, And if I can follow in his footsteps and be a cool gal doing cool things that people are hungry for and meeting those needs, then I am happy. So bless you. I bless you in the name of Yeshua Jesus. Whether you believe in him or not, whether you know him or not, that's okay. I do. And so on your behalf, I bless you in his mighty, matchless name with truth and hope and healing and love that transcends understanding. And I bless you with everything the depths of your soul have longed for that it would come to fruition in ways that surprise you, in ways that absolutely and completely take your breath away. And then we will give him all the glory. <laughs>